diving into our second week in our series, Talking About God. And today I have the privilege of getting to share with you. Our topic today is talking regularly. And then next week, we're so excited. Steve Saccone is flying in from Florida. I know, so excited. For those of you who are like, who are we, who are we cheering for? He used to be on staff here as one of our pastors. And we just love him. He and his wife just wrote a book called Talking About God. And that's what our series is based on. So he's flying in next week to speak to us about talking wisely. And then the following week, Roland, our youth director here, yeah, he's awesome. He'll be talking to us, um, and his topic is talking boldly, sharing a, with us a little bit about his story of coming to faith. So it's a great series. I'm going to start us off by just diving right into the Word. So today we're going to start in um, Colossians, in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible, if you have a Bible app, whatever you'd like to use, you can go to Colossians 3, and it's going to also be up on the screen. And then I just would love to start us off by praying. Does that sound okay? All right. <clears throat> Lord God... We're just blessed. We're so blessed, God. I love the, the beautiful image of our babies up here on stage and our kids on the screen. Just a beautiful evidence of the life and the youth of our church. And then, God, I also just feel like we're so blessed thinking back to last week and Chris's mes message of the gospel and the two people that gave their lives to you last week. God, that we just, there's life. There's life everywhere here. And, God, it's you and it's beautiful. And we're so grateful to be a part of it. God, thank you. As we come to your word today, God, will you please use it in our lives in a tangible way? God, calm my crazy nerves. God, use your word in a powerful and mighty way in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What a beautiful verse, huh? In this verse, Paul is talking to the church of Colossians. And I love how he starts it because the first thing he says to them is he tells them who they are. Therefore, as God's chosen people, God's chosen people, y'all, we can receive this too. We're God's chosen people, holy, which means set apart and dearly loved. He says right off the top, that's who you are. And then he's going to tell us what he wants us to do. Clothe yourselves. I want you guys to, to visualize putting on clothing. Okay? Putting on, I, I mean, th there's a lot of things. There's, maybe this is like putting on like a full tuxedo or something. Like there's a lot of clothing going on here. But visualize actually physically putting this on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know what he's saying right there? Remember your salvation. Because I have forgiven you, you can forgive others. Remember your salvation. And over all these virtues, verse 14 says, put on love. Think of this as the coat. It's like the coat that's going on top of all those other clothes. Over all those other virtues, put love on top of them. Because this binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, now Paul's going to take us from talking about this external. He's going to take us right inside all the way to our hearts. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. He moves from the outside straight to our hearts, because our hearts are the center of all of our emotions, our pain, our anger, our jealousy, our frustration, our conflict. 
all of that's in our hearts. And what he's saying to us is let the peace of Christ rule over all that. Rule. That word he's using there for rule, it's like this athletic term, like the umpire or the referee. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire or the referee in your hearts. That's what's ruling is the peace of Christ. And then he ends it by saying, and be thankful. Because when our hearts are full of gratitude, it's hard for other stuff to pop up. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So this then, at that time that he's talking to these people, that message would have been the Old Testament, right, that was memorized, passed down through generations, put to songs, you know, maybe like chants that they did back and forth. That's what he's talking about here. For us, it's the whole gospel. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament, all we know of the Bible. But let that message of Christ, let it dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And here's the kicker, verse 17. And whatever you do, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Ooh, that's a powerful one, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful picture of Christianity? A beautiful picture of how Christians should act, how we should treat each other, what the church should look like? Um, I love that. It's, It's my prayer, friends, that each of these babies that was up here today, that that's the church they grow up knowing. And that each of these kids that we saw in the video, that that's what Christianity is. It's compassion and kindness and forgiveness. It's peace and it's unity. You guys, that's how the church is for me. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I still love Jesus, so that's kind of awesome. <laughs> no, but really, when I, um, when I meet someone and they say I'm a Christian, or when someone talks about going to church, or talks about loving Jesus, for me, it's a really positive association. Because I grew up in a house with parents who loved Jesus, and they lived out their faith in a beautiful way. I have memories from a young age of of both of my parents sitting, reading over their Bibles in the mornings. Um, I have memories of my mom sitting at the piano for hours, just like singing worship to Jesus. Like that was just a part of what I grew up with. So for me, it's a beautiful association. For a lot of people, it's not. And I'm well aware of that. There's probably even people sitting among us today that even just sitting in a room it feels uncomfortable. And that's because there are a lot of Christians that don't share the love of Jesus in the right way. Yeah? I want to put a slide up here of, of one of those examples. I googled the term crazy Christian this week. And when this, po- I know, why would I even do that? It, it, go with me. But when I did this and this popped up, I, I, I felt like I wanted to throw up. Right? Because this is what a lot of people in our society and in our valley associate with Christians. When they think of the name of Jesus, this is what pops in their head. When they think of God or people that claim to be Christians, Christians have a bad rap. We're not exactly um, known for being loving or inclusive, for being peacemakers or build bridger, bridge builders. Um, and it's because Christians have hurt a lot of people. People that claim to be Jesus do evil, hateful things and drag the name of Jesus through the mud. And if people don't know Christians that live out the beauty of the gospel, if people haven't experienced the word of God, if they don't know Jesus personally and tangibly, this is what their image is, and it's a tragedy. And we need to assume here in our little part of the country that there are people that think this when we say we're a Christian or a believer. And you know what, friends? We can't, we can't be offended by that. Because Christians have done this, and we kind of have to own that. Um, 
I have a story of kind of a similar association. So a year and a half ago during the presidential campaign, remember that lovely time in our, in our country, but I was at Zumba one night. I loved Zumba. Dancing is my thing. And after class, a few of us were chatting, and I was sharing somewhat dishonorably my opinions and thoughts on a certain candidate and I'm chatting with other gals in my Zumba class. And then a couple minutes later, someone said, hey, are you going to be here on Thursday for class? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I actually lead a, a group at our church. I lead a Bible study for moms. And this one lady's head just, like, jerked over. And she was like, wait, you're Christian? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, but you just said all that stuff about that candidate. And in her mind, like, Christians look like this. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what Christians look like. And, I, and it was awesome for me to be able to say, actually, let me tell you a little bit how I feel about Jesus and the way that he treated people. You know, but for some people, that's, that's just what they see. And we can't be hurt by that or offended by that. But as Christians, we have to be aware that this is what people see. And one thing we can't do, we can't go incognito. Because that's what I feel like some of our responses are. We kind of go into, like, sleuth mode, like Christian spies, like undercover, you know, like maybe there's some Christians among us. We won't ever know. Like, no one's going to actually own up to it. Like, I think that's what some of us do because we're so scared of what people are going to think of us. Um, but, and that's, that's, not, that's not the right thing to do. <laughs> but we have to understand that here in the Silicon Valley, in a place that's so beautifully diverse with people from cultures all over the world, with people that are very well-educated and people that are very smart, people that are very open-minded, I think you can be anything in the Silicon Valley, but I don't know if you can be a Christian. Yeah? In different places in the world, uh, throughout all generations of humankind, the gospel has been spread in different ways, right? And I think now in our current generation, all over the world, we see Christians taking care of physical needs of people and then also offering the hope of Jesus Christ right? So I think of countries where there's people that are starving to death. There are organizations and Christians that give them food, that build wells, that give water, and then in the process of that, they lead people to the living water, right? In places where people um, don't have access to health care, where people are dying of just preventable diseases because they just don't have health care or they don't have education, Christians go in and they take care of that stuff, right? They help bring in doctors and nurses to heal people and educate people, and then they direct them to our healer, in places um, where people don't have education, where people don't have access to any kind of training to create a future for themselves or earn money, Christians are, are solving that as well by loving people. I think of Christy and John John in Haiti, our partners down in Haiti that we get to send um, people to to go visit their organization. They started schools, they started universities, um, they're training people on how to farm. They're doing these very specific, tangible things, and then as they do that, they're offering the hope in the future in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And then in places where there's injustice, slavery, oppression, there are Christians on the ground fighting for freedom and liberty for people. A cousin of mine lived in Cambodia for six years, working with an organization that got young girls out of sex trafficking. And he worked in a factory where the girls would come in, and in the morning they got to work to earn money, and then in the afternoon they got to go to school and have Bible study together. I mean, these are like beautiful pictures of Christians doing gorgeous things. But here in the Bay Area, it's a little different, right? Like, we do have need here. I, I don't want to be oblivious to that. My kids go to a Title I school where about 70% of the kids at the school are on the free lunch program because their families don't have money for food. So there are pockets in our areas um, where people don't have access to health care and where people don't have the access to education. But in general, in the Silicon Valley, we don't have an issue of physical needs not being met, right? We are well-educated. We have food. Um, 
So what do we have to offer, friends? In our valley where physical needs are met, how do we offer healing and hope and light and grace and a future to those who think they are lacking nothing? We offer ourselves. We offer ourselves. We offer the love of Jesus through friendships. We offer our daily, regular lives. We offer our stories of redemption. We offer our hope in Jesus. We offer our struggles and our pain and the message of hope in spite of them. We offer ourselves. And for some of us, this feels really terrifying. (laughs) Some of us in the room right now are like, can I just get on a plane and go deliver some rice and beans? That sounds easier, right? Can I just send some money somewhere? Can I just go do a two-week thing somewhere? That feels easier because it is really scary. Um, Stephen Sherry in their book um, said this. about this idea. They said, why is it so hard for people to talk about God? And they said, we feel anxious and fearful and intimidated and self-conscious and overwhelmed and discouraged. Many of us have learned a formula or a set of steps on how to share our faith, but talking about God is not a science. It's more of an art. But we don't use paint. We use relationships. In their book, they say this, when we talk about God, we're actually engaging the most important conversations that we can have. Friends, I think that in our attempt to not offend people or to be thought of as crazy Christians, we overcomplicate this idea of what it looks like to share our faith. Being a follower of Jesus, it's not a secret. And it's also not supposed to be a slap in someone's face when we enter into a conversation about our faith. Our faith is best shared just with our lives. Every day, regular, coming and going, working and studying and playing, through our friendships, and through our conversations. God uses our everyday, ordinary lives to invite others into his kingdom through regular day-in and day-out conversations. He uses our personal story of salvation, how Jesus captured our heart. He uses the story that God is currently writing every day in our lives. And he uses these everyday relationships to build his kingdom. God has called us to partner with him in loving others, and sharing the gospel along the way in just regular, ordinary ways. I have three points I'm going to hit on today, and if you're a note-taker, they're all in the bulletin. You can peek in there if you want to. And the first way is this. God wants to partner with us through our story. How did Jesus capture your heart? That's the first blank. How did Jesus capture your heart? I mentioned before that I grew up as a pastor's kid, and when I was 15, my dad took a job at a new church. My family had lived in the Seattle area, and we moved to a little town in Oregon called Hood River. It's precious and beautiful and wonderful, and I love it. And then I hated it, and I thought it was Hicksville. And I let my dad know quite plainly, like a 15-year-old would, that he had ruined my life, moving me my sophomore year of high school. And it was just a rough season. I, there's four kids in our family. Two of them went to college that year. So we went from like a family of six to a family of four in a new place. And you guys, I have this memory of the night before the first day of school, um, laying in bed, just like crying out of anger that my parents would pluck me out of my community, out of fear of what these new kids at the school would be like, just feeling displaced and not happy. And I opened the Bible, and um, I, I was reading in Jeremiah, and you guys, I memorized Jeremiah 29 11 when I was a little girl. I had heard many youth pastors talk about this verse. But in that moment when I opened the scriptures and I read the words, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper. Plans for a hope and for a future. 
It was one of the very first times in my life that the word of God spoke to me so powerfully that I knew it was straight from God. Have you guys ever had an experience like that? In that moment, it it was totally undeniable that the Lord was using his word to speak to me. Fast forward two years later, 17, my high school sweetheart, who was an amazing guy and I loved with my whole heart, was going to college. And we were breaking up. And I was crushed. I was crushed. And I just have to tell you guys, the 17-year-old broken heart, I think it's exactly the same as the 27-year-old broken heart or the 37, 47, 57. I don't think teenage love is any different. I think when we love, we love. And for me, I was crushed. And I remember laying in bed, staring at the ceiling of my top bunk bed, just sobbing from this broken heart. And as I laid there sobbing, this picture came into my mind. And it wasn't weird, and there wasn't like a wind coming in the window, and there weren't like angels there. It was just like this really ordinary picture came in my mind. And I saw this boyfriend of mine walking, and and as he walked, he walked up this hill, and when he got to the top of the hill, he kind of disappeared down the other side. So I followed him. And, And when I got to the top of the hill that he had been on, he was just going over the crest of the next hill. And in this picture, I could tell that I couldn't quite catch up with him. And then I just felt peace come over me. Like the sobbing subsided, and there was just peace. And I knew in that moment God was just using this picture to tell me, just let him go. Christina, let him go. And that peace that surrounded me, it was not my own. It was a peace from the Lord. He was with me. It didn't make the situation that much easier. Breaking up is still hard. But when you know that God is with you and that he's in it, was powerful for me. I mean, I can remember that moment, and that was quite a few years ago. Let's not talk about how long ago that was. And then last year, I went through a really hard season of loss and grief in my life, the hardest of my life. And in my life, you guys, I've prayed for many people in times of desperation and need, and I've prayed God's comfort over people so many times. But you know what? I had never asked the Lord to comfort me. I never said those words. And I remember a year ago laying in bed in so much physical and emotional pain and just saying, God, I'm so hurt. God, I need you to comfort me. I need your presence right now to comfort me. And as I look back, I see God's hand of comfort in my life. The pain didn't always go away simply. I still had to walk through the process. But God's comfort was with me. Friends, these are part of my story. It's just my story. Growing up in the church, I always was really um, jealous of people that had, like, really dramatic stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I just wanted, like, the drug to the, like, I'm healed from addiction story. That's not my story. I love those stories. And if that's your story, that's amazing. All of our stories are different. This is my story. And you know what? It's powerful because it's how Jesus changed my life. It's a story of me surrendering my sin and my will to him. And because of that, it's powerful. So friends, that's the next fill-in in your bulletin. Your story is powerful, and it's irrefutable. No one can argue with your story, right? For me, that Colossians chapter can actually be a reality in my life because of Jesus. Without Jesus, I'm not gentle and kind. I don't forgive. I'm not compassionate. I'm kind of selfish and ugly. My family can attest to this. But with Jesus, I am transformed. I'm a new creation, right? I love the story in John 
of, um, of Jesus healing the blind man. I don't know if you guys know this story. Let me tell you just really quickly. So it's a Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples are out and about. They see a man who's been blind since birth, the passage tells us. And Jesus has compassion on him. And he reaches down and he gets some dirt in his hand and he spits in it, because this is what you do. And he makes a little mud and he rubs it on the man's eyes. Um, and then he sends the man to a pool and he says, rinse your eyes. And when the man rinses, he can see. He goes from being blind to being able to see, just like that. It's an amazing story. Of course, now the Pharisees are not going to be very happy with him about this because he's causing a bit of a ruckus, and they're also super upset that he's healing on the Sabbath because that would be considered work, and we don't work on the Sabbath. So they're kind of trying to get to the bottom of the story and cause a little conflict. I think they're kind of trying to take away the miracle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like kind of minimize it. So they bring in um, the blind man's parents and ask questions like, well, was he really blind from birth? Are you sure? You know, they're kind of trying to get this stuff. And then they bring the blind man in and they ask him point blank, did Jesus sin? Did he heal you on the Sabbath? And this is what the man says in John 9.25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that amazing? That is the transformation, friends. That was his story. Those who encounter Jesus are transformed, and they are never the same. So whether your story of transformation a physical he- is like physical healing, like this blind man, and people have you know, read it for thousands of years, or whether your story is a story of healing from addiction, or whether your story is a heart change story that people can only see from your outside actions, your story is powerful, and your story is irrefutable. No one can argue with your experience. I put a couple reflection questions in your bulletin, and I want you guys to peek at these now and maybe sit on them a little bit this week. But the questions I want you to look at on this one are this. What is my story? What is my story? This is important for us to be aware of what our story is. And then the next thing is, when is the last time I talked about it? When's the last time I shared with my missional community my story? When's the last time I talked to my kids about it or my friends about it? Our stories need to be present in our minds, and they need to be on the front of our minds. The next thing that I think that God is using, um, that he wants to partner with us to use to share his gospel, it's not just our story of our salvation, but our current story of what God's doing right now in our lives. Galatians 2.20 tells us this. It's up here on the screen. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You've been crucified when you've come to salvation, and you're crucifying the sinful part. And that new life is beautiful. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, our lives are no longer full of us. Thank you, Jesus. Faith is a journey, and we don't arrive at a destination. So of course we have seasons of full surrender, and then we have other seasons when we kind of try to take it back from God, kind of try to take care of our own lives, and it gets kind of messy and ugly. And then we have to re-release it to the Lord. But as believers, we strive to crucify our sin and our own selfish desires and live fully surrendered to Jesus because our lives are not our own. The second blank to fill in on this one, the truth is this. Your life is preaching something. Your life is preaching something. As people are watching and observing and doing life with you, your life is preaching something. It's saying something. Let's think about what is it our life is preaching? Is it preaching a love, a value, and a commitment to work, to money, to family, to vanity, 
maybe a commitment to fitness or health or sports or leisure, or maybe just to playing and partying. Like, what is your life preaching? As a mom, I am ridiculously aware of the mantra, more is caught than taught. I have a child that throws all of his things on the floor all the time in all the rooms in the house, and it makes me just crazy. And sometimes I have maybe caught myself scolding him, and then I walk into my bedroom, and guess whose clothes are all over the floor? Yep, more is caught than taught. This is, this is the same in our lives that we live every day, friends. Um, for a lot of people in our lives that don't know Jesus, we may be the only God person in their lives. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. Who in your life are you maybe the only Christian that they know? The only God person that they know? And they're watching, and your life is preaching. Colossians 3.17 that we read before says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Word or deed. That means all our words, all of our actions. This is a really high calling. How are we going to do it? Let's just try, like, really, really hard. Yeah? Should we do that? Should we try really hard? No. Friends, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not life with Jesus. It's not us trying hard at all. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit in us. God sent the Holy Spirit to us to help us live a beautiful life. It's by the power of God. So what does this look like for us? I think it looks like us spending time with Jesus. Being in the word, being in worship, being in the presence of Jesus regularly with constant connection to Jesus. We can't live our lives in word and in deed in his name if we aren't spending time with him. We just can't. We need to ask ourselves a couple questions as we look at what our lives are preaching. Do the way we live direct others to Jesus? Let's just take a couple examples. In the way we work, do you work honest? Are you lazy? Do you honor those in authority? Or do you work obsessively? In the way that you play and enjoy yourself, are you wild? Or do you have control and boundaries? In the way that you speak, do you tear others down, gossip, tell racist jokes, sexist jokes? Or do your words lift people up? How well do you love? Are you a picture of hate? judgment, criticism, or are you a picture of grace to all those you come in contact with? How do you deal with conflict? Honorably, with respect and dignity, or with slander and criticism? Sometimes the little things are actually big things, and the big things are actually little things. You know what I mean? Some of us are waiting to have a conversation where someone asks us, like, tell me all about your faith, or what's your story? You know, and we're ready for big conversations to defend our faith, but really... Sometimes the big moments are just people watching us. It's watching us live out our lives with integrity and character. This is not about moralism or being good. This isn't about us putting on a show or acting like we're perfect. We're a sinful mess. And we can acknowledge that, but also be honest about how God is healing and transforming us. This is about us living our redeemed lives in Christ, being in the Spirit, so that the Spirit can move and live and breathe in us and through us, through our mundane, everyday lives. God uses our everyday stories to share with others who he is. The reflection questions here are this. What is the story God is writing in your life right now? 
what is the story? What is God doing? What is he teaching you? Where is he refining you? Where is he comforting you? Where is he healing you? And then finally, am I really living God's story? Or am I kind of living my own story? Because friends, your life preaches. So let it preach. And the last point is this. God wants to partner with us and loving those around us through our everyday relationships. Wherever you go, you take the light. Wherever you go. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I remember as a little girl, I was seven years old, and my aunt and I were out and about somewhere, and I saw a man acting in a way that in my seven-year-old mind, you know how seven-year-olds think, pretty concretely, he was acting in a bad way. And I remember saying to my aunt, I just wish that all the good people could live on one earth and all the bad people could live on another earth. And my aunt, being wise and gentle and tender, said to me, but Christina, we're the light of the world. And then she painted a picture for me what would it look like if there was an earth that was completely dark, with no hope, just full of pain and hurt and sorrow, while over here there's another earth that's just glowing with light? And you guys, I don't remember many conversations from being seven, but I remember that one because it marked me. We are the light of the world. Second Corinthians 5.20 tells us, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his gospel through us, making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled with God. The truth of this point is this. God has chosen to use you as his ambassador. An ambassador is, is just a representative or a promoter. We know this. There's ambassadors all over the world, right? Countries will send one of their own to another country to live there, to be a part of their culture, but they go as a representative. They go with the interests of the country they're coming from. They act in accordance with the country that they're from, and they represent. They're loyal to the country they're from, even though they live somewhere else. In the same way, God has chosen us to be his ambassadors. Jesus was the first ambassador of God, right? And now we are his ambassadors. We're called to live and love like Jesus on this earth. When people look at us, they should see Jesus. As ambassadors, it's our role to draw others to God. Not to correct not to judge, not to condemn, but to be his ambassadors of love. Since we are God's ambassadors, how do we make sure God's heart comes through on our conversations and our interactions and our relationships? How do we do it? We need to learn to love others and see them like God sees them. In Stephen um, Sherry's book that Steve's going to be talking about more next week, they focus on three things, and I think this is powerful. They focus on dignity, respect, and worthiness, seeing all people as worthy creations of God. People are not projects. People are not numbers. People are not goals. People are not statistics. People are valuable, worthy creations of the Almighty God, and he desperately loves them and wants to use us as his ambassadors to show them what that love looks like. In our relationships, this can be really simple. If someone's hurting, we love them. If someone's in need, we help them. When someone's discouraged, we encourage them. If someone's lonely, we befriend them. As his ambassadors, we go where we are sent to represent our Lord. 
Friends, it is no accident and it is no coincidence who you are surrounded by every single day. At work, in class, at the gym, your roommates, who you sit by on the train, not a coincidence. I'm a mom of three elementary age kids and my day-to-day life includes so many of the same people every day, week in and week out. Teachers, classmates, fellow parents, the same baseball parents at the ball field, all of these people. And I really feel like God has me there for a reason. God places me, little Christina, in places where he knows that his light and his love and his grace and his joy need to be felt. And he does the exact same for each one of us in this room. Because that's what God does. He places light and hope in darkness. He desperately loves his children who are far away from him. And he uses his ambassadors to help share his deep, deep affection. God has put people in your life for a reason. God knows you, and he knows who you can connect with. Now, I know some of you right now are like, "Uh, Christina, clearly you're an extrovert. Clearly it's not hard for you to talk to people. Um, But here's the thing. No matter how we're wired, no matter what our personalities are, no matter how God created us, it is our job to share his love. And you don't have to do it in a way that looks like anything other than just who you are. Amen? You just do it out of who you are and be true to yourself, and God will use you. So what does this look like? A couple quick examples for me. For me, it's praying before I get out of the car. Sometimes that's at school drop-off. That's at school pickup. That's before a baseball game. It's just a simple prayer. Hey, God, who, who do you need me to love right now? It's making myself available. It's ridding my mind of all of my stuff and just recognizing that as I'm in the world, I represent Jesus. Asking the Holy Spirit, will you guide my words? Will you guide where I sit and guide my conversations? We can all do that. For me, it's also um, listening well. Just listening. Sometimes people will say a lot if you just ask them how they are. You know? People will respond to people that they know are genuine and really care. Putting your phone down when you're somewhere and just saying, hey, how are you? What's going on? How you been? And then praying for that person later. And then following up the next time you see them. You know, I mean, these are really simple things, but this is actually how we show love to people. Like, hey, I feel like a couple weeks ago you shared with me about da-da-da-da-da. How is that? How was that? It's simple, but it shows that we love and that we care. Christians should be amazing friends. We should be amazing friends because we can love people just like Jesus did with no strings attached, with no selfish ambitions. We can just offer our time and our presence and our love and just give it out. As God's ambassadors, we should talk about him. Can you imagine if there was an ambassador um, that was sent from a country somewhere else and they didn't actually ever talk or represent the country they came from? Wouldn't that be so odd? It would be so, so weird. And so we have to talk about God. Um, So let's do a quick check, real quick. Um, Do we talk about our faith? Within your heart, just think about this. Do I talk about my faith? Do I talk about my God? Do I talk about my hope that I have? This doesn't have to be strange, and it doesn't have to be awkward, and it doesn't have to be weird, crazy Christian, weird stuff. This can just be a part of natural conversation. We talk about everything. We talk about the Netflix shows we're binging. We talk about the new diet plan or eating plan we're on, our favorite kombucha, our new favorite restaurant, right? And we just talk about life. We can also talk about our faith in a way that's casual and regular. 
and not weird. A couple ways I do it, this is just a few examples. This is from me out of who I am. This will look different for you, of course. Um, one example, actually this wasn't me, but this was a, a dad at the baseball field a couple weeks ago. Sunday after church, when I was at the baseball field, all three of my kids are playing baseball right now, so I'm actually there seven days a week, usually, and I kind of love it. It's really fun. But I saw this dad, and I said, hey, how's your day going? And he said, oh, it's amazing. I went to church this morning. It just filled me up. I'm just, I'm ready for the week. I didn't even know this guy knew Jesus, but what a cool thing to say. Is that, is that weird? Is that weird? No. Is anyone going to be offended by that? No. Is he judging anyone? No, he's just sharing his experience in a way that's positive and beautiful and that would make someone that didn't go to church kind of interested, right? Um, Last year, our our family had to move. We'd been in this rental for five and a half years, and we had to move. And anyone else ever try to find housing in the Bay Area? It is like, it's a thing. Like, it has to be affordable and in the school district. It was this whole thing. We had a lot of people hunting for us and looking for us. And um, people would ask me, hey, how's the house, house hunt coming? And we were really praying about it. Like, this... We knew the Lord would provide for us. So I would say to people, even that didn't know Jesus, like, oh, thanks for asking. You know, we're, we're searching here and here, but we're really praying about it. I think, I think God will help us out. He always helps us. It's just a way to give the glory to God, just to give the tribute to the Lord. This year, my fifth grade son had to choose a middle school to go to next year, and this is the same kind of situation. Um, we, we visited schools and, you know, kind of weigh the options or whatever, and all of his friends are doing the same thing. But we really prayed with him a lot about it every night before bed. We just pray that God would give him peace. And so as I'm talking to other moms of other fifth graders and they're asking, what's the choice on that? I'd say, you know, we're not sure yet, but you know, we really want James to be a part of this decision. And you know, we're really praying that God will give him a peace about it. You know, that's not offensive. It's just actually sharing what we're doing. Recently, I was sitting with a group of moms at baseball. This is my last example. And um, a mom was sharing about how the, for spring break, they went to the, they went to the beach. They're talking about how beautiful the beach was. And it just felt so appropriate for me to share I said, you know what, you guys, I, I love the ocean. They're like, oh, yeah, me too. It's so beautiful, the seagulls, whatever. Da, da. I said, I love it because I feel so close to God at the ocean. I just feel connected to him. I'm reminded of how big he is. And, and the moms just nodded their heads. It's just a way for me to honor God in my everyday conversation, right? Just to honor him and his goodness. It doesn't have to be strange or weird. And another thing we can do is offer to pray for people. I mean, there are broken, hurting people. I I could list for you right now 15 people in my day-to-day life who are broken. Between family members dying of cancer or people struggling with this or that. And I feel like there's a way that we can say to people, you know, I don't know if you're a person of faith or I don't know if you're a praying person, but I am. And is it okay if I'm just praying for you about that? Right? That's not offensive. That's not pushy. Or if someone shares something with you and you are praying about them, tell them. Right? You can say, you know, dude, I hope this doesn't weird you out, but faith is a really big part of my life, so I've actually been praying for you about that because I'm really sorry you're going through that. It's just a way of loving people well and acknowledging God. Those are some of the things I do. Here's the reflection in your bulletin I want you guys to think through. Who in my life does not know Jesus? Am I loving them well? Do my interactions with others lead them closer to Jesus? Or are others experiencing Jesus through my relationship with them? Church, you are the light of the world. You're not a nightlight, because no one will see that. You're also not a forest fire on a hill, burning up everything, causing people to run away out of fear, right? That's not what the gospel is. But you're an ambassador of a loving king who is crazy about his people and working desperately to earn back their hearts. 
I want to throw up this slide one more time of the crazy Christians that I googled. <laughs> and I want us to redeem this as I read Colossians 3, 12 through 17 one more time. We're going to put the words over this of what God has called us to do. And I want you to just sit in it and soak in it as we head back to worship, all right? Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, Awakening Church, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.